University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Will you lead us in prayer? The question is often met with a surge of anxiety and fear and a desire to disappear instantaneously. Experts say that public speaking is one of the most common fears among people. I'd say praying in public goes just above it, sliding somewhere in between uh, the fear of heights and the fear of closed spaces. In my 20-plus years of ministry, I have never quite figured out the rhyme or reason behind all the places that people's eyes will go when you ask them to pray before others. <laughs> I, it's like the, the answers are, are woven into the fabric of the carpet or into the dots in the ceiling tiles as we try to not be seen so that we don't have to be asked to pray. Why are we so scared to pray in, uh, in front of others? And is praying publicly a microcosm of our feelings towards prayer privately? If so, why are we so scared of prayer? At first glance, communicating with the God of the universe can be overwhelmingly intimidating. When compounded with the many experiences of our life, joy and sorrow, celebration and loss, fear and hope, disappointment and success, talking to God can feel a bit frustratingly unapproachable. But why would God create our capacity for prayer if it was unapproachable, unattainable, or impossible? What if fear and apprehension and anxiety and lack of understanding of prayer prevents us from opening our lives up to the greater possibility of what God has in store for us? Today, we're starting a new sermon series, Audacious, Radical Prayers That Will Transform Your Life. And each week, we're going to examine a different type of prayer and why it's critical for thriving. So for this, we took a look at the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22, verse 10. And while your Bibles might have 1 and 2 Kings as two separate books, the Hebrew Bible actually has them as one, the books were a continuation of First and Second Samuel as they follow David's son Solomon to become king over his father's death. So the book of Kings tells the story of a long line of kings from David's line, but that fell short of God's promises to use David's family to establish a kingdom that would fulfill God's promise to Abraham. There's some really, really bad kings that came to the throne. In fact, there are so many bad and corrupt kings and their leadership, it leads Israel and Judah's destruction by the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, eventually leading to the exile of hundreds of thousands of Hebrew people to foreign lands. So leading into our story, one of the corrupt kings was a man named Amon, and he was a hated king. He hadn't followed God at all. In fact, like many of the kings before him, Amon ignored God and worshipped false gods called idols all over the land. He built idols and places of worship to idols, and by the time Josiah becomes king, most of God's family didn't pay attention to God anymore. But Amon dies and succeeded to the throne 
is his eight-year-old son named Josiah. Nowadays, if, if you're eight years old, you're in third grade, which means you're learning multiplication and division, sentence structure, prefixes, maps, and classifying animals, and understanding the basic weather system in science. Typically, most eight-year-olds are not rising to the throne. And we quickly learn that Josiah was a different from his father. Behind every good son was their awful father is an extraordinary mother. And Josiah's mother has, uh, we have to think, for a lot of his success. And the Bible tells us that at the age of 16, Josiah started to follow God and look to obey God's ways. And at the age of 20, Josiah realized that all the idols were stealing worship that belonged to God. And he began to get rid of them. He turned his attention to the temple, choosing to fund the rebuilding after its destruction at the hands of the Babylonians. And when Josiah sent an official to the temple to pay for the rebuilding, a priest worked there, told him, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. We get the idea that the Hebrew scriptures had either gone missing or were stored away in this time of worshiping false idols and practicing worship and new false idol centers. And the people didn't need them. They gave their allegiance over to other gods and worship now. And so the word of God had been lost and forgotten in the confines of the temple rubble. The people had gone out of their way of their everyday lives and, and doing as they would do, living as they would live. And I think many, if not most of us, can connect with Josiah. Our hearts are in the right place, but our religious lives are walking through the motions. What do I mean by that? Like Josiah, most of us were inheritors of a faith tradition that stretches back as long as we can remember. I can tell you that growing up, I hardly ever missed a Sunday in church. In fact, we were so committed that we went on Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings, too. Our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents went to church sat in worship, tithed, and maybe even served on a committee or two. It, it was assumed that to be born into this family in this place meant that we were part of this church, followed these customs, and the countless other people who came before us. We walk through the motions of this religious culture without realizing it because it's assumed that that's what we're supposed to do, what's expected of us. We might give some of our money to the church, like Josiah donated to the temple rebuild. We might use a little social capital to help the church out when we're asked, like Josiah sent one of his officials to help organize things for the rebuild. We might even speak out against the things that we believe are unethical or immoral, like Josiah had a thing or two to say about worship of idols. Again, our heart is in the right place, but our religious lives are walking through the motions. I don't mean for that to sound judgmental or to be an insult. This is what we have inherited. This is what we assume of ourselves and expect others to as well. This is what we've been handed down. Many, if not most of us, of our religious insights are, are directly a reflection of our parents' beliefs or things we were told to by a pastor. We all inherit all kinds of views in our life, not just religious ones, some sport allegiance. Very rarely are you going to find a, an Auburn fan here in the middle of LSU country, right? 
We were handed down our political views, our worldviews, and so on. According to Pew, 56% have the same religion of their childhood. 44% have a different one. According to Barna, another research group, respondent Christians was, uh, Christianity was passed down to them. 59% said this. Though sometimes another member of the family was exploring the faith around the time that they came to faith. 11% said so. More than half of those who reported growing up in faith, 57%, say they were Christian at the time of their birth. And response is revealing either their theological understanding or how extensively Christianity has permitted, uh, permeated into their upbringing. This is fairly explained by the binary nature of choice. If anything, most people tend to stick with what they know or, or drop affiliation altogether. But have we ever considered that simply adopting beliefs and traditions that we were reared in eventually leads us to just walk through the motions of our religiosity? It's there. It means something. It's just that we've been believing it and doing it for so long that it's just become second nature to us. But all of this is about to radically change in Josiah's life. The official who, sent, who Josiah had sent to the temple... His name was Shaphan. A priest told Shaphan that he had found these sacred scriptures. He gave them to him to bring back to the king. And look at what happens in verse 10. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, was given me a book. And Shaphan read it in front of the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, the priest, and Hakiam, son of Shaphan, Ekbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Osiah the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in the book that they have found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because of those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words in this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Sometimes there are words that are so familiar to us that we don't even have to say who spoke them. I think, therefore I am. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Sometimes there are words written and spoken that stir our soul in ways that we cannot explain. Abraham Lincoln said, I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. Or Dr. King, when he so vividly painted the image of possibility, when he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up to live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It was Helen Keller who said, the best and most beautiful things in this world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. Japan brought the sacred scriptures to Josiah. They were read as the king heard these words. Something happened inside of Josiah, so much so that he tore his clothes, the universal sign of conviction and grief. Josiah would have been wearing the finest threads of the ruling elite could afford. His clothes would have been set him apart from normal people. He was the king after all. And yet what he felt inside of him from these words that he was hearing moved him to tear the most important and expensive vestments of his authority and power. This shows the the depth of his emotional struggle. But he doesn't just stop there. He begins to confess that he, 
his fathers and the people have done wrong. They've been walking through the motions of their journey with God. They've been living out day after day as beneficiaries of God's great promise through Abraham to make the Hebrew people great, and yet they've been living their lives with no regards to God's truth and way. And Josiah knows why his father was a failure. He knows why the people have experienced the subjugation of the Assyrians. He knows that they have turned from God and are worshiping false gods and idols out of, the, out of their own convictions and self-interest. And all of this came from what? From hearing God's word. The Hebrew word used here is shema. It means more than just the act of, of listening or hearing something or someone. It's acknowledging, it's an acknowledgement of what is being said in such a way that turns the hearer into doing. Hearing moved Josiah to doing. These words have powerful influence. Do you know the names uh, Marky Plyer or Logan Paul or Jenna Marbles or King Bach or Tyler Oakley? Anybody know those names? If not, you're not alone. I had no idea who these people were, but I had to look them up. But despite my lack of awareness, these five people carry the most subscribers and followers on social media. Take, for example, uh, Marky Plyer, which I'm sure I'm saying that wrong has over 16 million subscribers on YouTube, 5 million followers on Twitter, and over 5 million followers on Instagram. See, with the rise of social media came the rise of a new term in the, to the vernacular, social media influencer. Now, if this term might seem silly to you, then you might not laugh by the fact that Logan Paul, who ranks second in the world of social media influencers, has a net worth of $19 million. All of that from social media media. To my millennials and Gen Zs out there, please don't judge me too harshly for not knowing the names of who these people are. With the rise of social media influencers and to the zeitgeist, it does raise an important question as to who and what holds influence in our lives. What do we shema? What do we not just merely listen to, but what do we hear that causes us to move and do something in our lives? For some, the answer is friendships and relationships. For others, it's entertainment and cultural influence. Still for others, it's politics and politicians. For others, the answer is the many forms of media, while for others, the ideal dream of a particular future and job or financial status. What shapes and forms you? What holds so much influence in your life that mere words stir you to rethink the way that you approach life? You see, as Josiah heard the word of God, it radically changed something inside him. He, he not only emotionally responded to what he had heard, but cognitively he wanted to know more. He sent one of, for one of God's prophetess, a woman named Huldah, Remember, the prophets talk to God, then they share what God has to say. Josiah wanted to know if, if there was any chance that God would forgive him and the people for their wrongdoing. And God did bring a word to Huldah, stating that the Israelites deserved to be punished for disobeying God over and over again. However, God was equally moved by Josiah's recognition of the reality of their ways, choosing mercy and grace. All of the other kings who came before him in this period were arrogant and, and blind to their corruption, leading the people to care for themselves, neglecting the poor and the marginalized to suffer. They thought they could 
keep walking through the motions of their religiosity by worshiping God with their lives while completely contradicting God with the way they live their lives. But Josiah was different. He was moved to a place of recognition, acknowledging that this unhealthy pattern in their lives had to stop. And he wanted to do something about it. And listen how God responds in verse 19. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, and that they would become cursed and be laid waste, and because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. There's a tremendous play on words given to us by the storytellers. We first acknowledge that Josiah, he, Shema, he heard God's word. But now we also learn that God heard, God Shema, Josiah's cry. Wow. Don't just mull over the significance of this verse. Yes, it is powerful that a young king is ready and willing to stop the unhealthy and toxic patterns of his forebears and his people crying out to God in an honest confession, but equally powerful is that the fact that the God of the universe was listening. Verse 19 gives us a remarkable glimpse into the nature of prayer as a mutually shared experience of dialogue between you and God. Prayer is not just talking to ourselves, getting stuff off our chest, com complaining about what didn't go right, asking for the stuff that we need, or recognizing when things aren't going the way that we want. No, prayer is a mutually shared experience of communication with God. God hears us. God hears our confession. God hears our cry for help. God hears our celebration of joy. God hears our desire for change. You are not just speaking uh, to a blank void or to a deity seated on a high and mighty throne that has no time for your measly babbling. No, God hears what you have to say and responds. Prayer is a mutually shared experience of dialogue between you and God. And Josiah was formed by his prayer journey with God. This moved him to act in audacious faithfulness to God. In 2 Kings 23, he brings together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, gathering them in the temple. He read the word of God to the people who were moved to follow in God's ways. But Josiah just didn't give up with spiritual formation. He took audacious action by having every single idol removed. He, he destroyed every place that they were worshiping false god. He collected all the things that used for idol worship in the temple and even in people's houses, and he burned them and took the ashes far away. Basically, he got rid of every trace of anything that was ever used to worship a false god. And guess what the Bible says about him in 2 Kings 23, 25? Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength and according with all the law of Moses. So, so just in case you missed it, here's a quick version. Josiah becomes king. He was eight. He followed in the motions of religious life. He rebuilt the temple for the Lord. A priest discovered a book of God's law. Josiah read it 
He realized he disobeyed God. He prayed to be formed and reformed by God. His prayer turned into action. Israel was changed forever. There was no other king like Josiah. Josiah's story shows us the power of formational prayer. What does that mean, formational prayer? We recognize that there are so many things that that influence our lives and decision-making. The fact of the matter is that God and God's words may or may not hold great influence in our life. But that doesn't mean they don't have to. Formational prayer begins with acknowledging that we're not getting it right. That some of the mindsets and choices and perspectives we have have been shaped by other things that are not God and certainly don't follow in the way of Jesus. As Richard Foster put it, humility means to live as close to the truth as possible. The truth about ourselves, the truth about others, and the truth about the world in which we live. And when we can acknowledge this, when we open ourselves up to the possibility, God can teach us something better, a healthier way of living. Formational prayer is asking God to shape and form you according to what God knows is best for our lives and for the world. As the psalmist put it, show me your ways, Lord, teach me your path. As the disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith. Jeremiah compares God to a potter, and we are the clay. Those who are willing to audaciously open themselves up to God's leadership are held, molded, folded, formed, and shaped into God's desires. Can you imagine praying such audacious words to God as shape and form me into whatever you desire? Throughout this series, we are going to end every week's conversation with a prayer corresponding to the given focus of the morning. Repeating these words does not mean praying words, but allowing your heart and your mind and your soul to sink into the meaning of these words as you lift them up to a God who hears you is a powerful act of prayer. So my challenge to you is that you will pray each day these prayers we are giving you throughout the week. The prayers will be featured on the website and the window of the church newsletter. So I invite you this morning to join me as I pray these words, lift them up in your soul. This was a prayer written by a missionary, Elizabeth Elliot. Loving Lord and Heavenly Father, I offer up today all that I am, all that I have, all that I do, and all that I suffer, to be yours today and yours forever. Give me grace, Lord, to do all that I know of your holy will. Purify my heart, sanctify my thinking, correct my desires. Teach me in all of today's work and trouble and joy to respond with honest praise, simple trust, and instant obedience. That my life may be truth, a living sacrifice. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, my Master and my all. Amen.